This morning we will be looking at the first eight verses of Titus chapter 3. We continue our journey through Paul's letter to Titus. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative for your life. And the word of the Lord is sufficient for all matters of faith. Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing upon His Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would be with us this morning that you would remind us of the great truths of your word, your gospel, and your grace. Lord, let this word take deep root within us, that we might glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, those of you that were with us will recall, we looked at the last verse of chapter 2 of Titus, verse 15. And we looked at the authority of the gospel, the authority of God's grace, the authority of God's word. And we looked at the gospel from the aspect of that the gospel is not an option for us. God's grace is not just merely one thing among many that we can choose of. The gospel is the command of God. It is the only way that we may be right with God. Verse 15 of chapter 2 reminds us that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not just have something nice for the world, something that will help them in their family life or in their work. No, we have God's very truth, not because of who we are, but because God has spoken it and given it to us. And it is given to everyone, not a select few, It's one of the reasons why the Bible is translated in every language that we can find. The gospel is indeed 
a command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we think about the gospel in that sense, it is necessary. We are tempted, I think, at times to overplay the authority card. In other words, the gospel has great authority because God speaks and somehow, sometimes we think that we have the word of God and therefore when we speak, everyone just has to listen to us. And it doesn't really matter how we say things or when we say things. It's God's truth. And therefore, you should just sit down, be quiet, listen, and do what I say. But you see, Paul reminds us that that's not how the gospel works. The command of the gospel, the demands of God's grace come from God, not from us, his messengers. We have another task. It's what Paul puts in front of us this morning. It is another aspect of the grace of God, the gentleness of God's grace. God's people are called to be gentle with others, to be loving with others, to bring the word of God to them in such a fashion that the life that we live does not contradict the words that we say. That's what Paul is getting at here this morning. And so he again has something for us to do. It is based on what we believe, but the task of the gospel, as we have come to know and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and share Him with others, requires wisdom and obedience to the Word. And so what we will look at here this morning are three things. First, we will see that Paul gives us a call to action. There is a call to action in bringing the gospel to others. And secondly, there is a consideration of the reason as to why we do it in this fashion. It's not just because God says so. The Lord has a very good reason for saying so. So a call to action and a consideration of the reason. And then finally, we are called to concentrate on the consequence of how we present the gospel. Let's begin then this morning by looking at the call to action that is put before us in verse 1. Paul says to Titus, a pastor of a church, remind them that is your people. So if it isn't so, but if this letter were somehow written to us, it would be called not Titus, but Fred. And Paul would say, remind them, that is, y'all, people sitting in the chairs, not some theoretical people, not angels in heaven, but ordinary everyday people whose stomachs rumble, whose backs ache, who are alive in the world today. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. This is a call to action. Now, there's a reason why Paul begins with remember. This is something that all of us need, you'll forgive me, a reminder of, that the Christian life is really not that hard to understand. Sometimes we make it so. What Paul is saying here in this text, be obedient, be ready, don't speak evil of anyone, is really pretty plain. You don't need to know Greek. I'm not going to bring out any whiz-bang vocabulary that really is going to convince you of these things. Parents, you know how this works. You ask your children to do some chore or to do a certain thing, 
or to explain something to you and they respond by saying, well, I don't really know how. And you know, you say, of course you know how. You just don't want to do it. That's the way we approach the Christian life very often. We need to be reminded because it's not a difficult theology. What it is, is very hard to apply. If we're honest with ourselves, a phrase like speak evil of no one does not take a college education to understand, but it takes decades of patience to do. And so Paul is telling Titus, this is going to be your job. This is the pastor's duty. You've heard me say it before. My job is to remind you continually of things you already know. It's to speak God's words again to you. And in this, pastors throughout generations are just simply doing what the Lord's own disciples did. Paul wrote in Philippians 3 that it was, it was good for him to remind the Philippians of things. It was not harmful at all. Peter wrote in his second letter after writing through a long list of characteristics of the godly, he said, and this is why I'm reminding you of this, and I will continue to remind you. By God's grace, that is one thing we need to do, remind ourselves and each other of this call. And what we are reminded of is in this call to action, first we must have a right attitude. You'll see here that Paul says we are to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. Now, there is a special emphasis here on dealing with rulers and authorities. You'll see doctors are not included in here, farmers. There's not every occupation known to man. It's specifically rulers and authorities. Do you wonder why? Well, I think the first thing is, is that it is, it is a very important task. Those who rule over nations, cities, states have a great duty and their lives affect others. But I think there's something else that's true and it's about as true as it could be in America in 2011, almost 12, as it was in Roman Palestine in the 60s AD. And that is, it is really hard to submit to authorities, isn't it? Especially when, as we sit in our chair and surf the news and we look and we say, man, oh man, are they doing stupid things. If they'd only put me in charge. How many of you are armchair congressmen? I know I am, right? But you see, I'll let you in on a secret. God hasn't made you a congressman or president, or a Supreme Court justice. And so we need to respect, we need to look at our rulers and authorities and submit to them. Now, what this does not mean is doing every single thing that they say to do. We see that even in the scriptures. The apostles, at the risk of their life, said, if we must obey you or God, we're going to obey God. That's the end of the story. We also live in a place where we are not ruled by kings or dictators. We are a part of the ruling class because we are a republic. And so we do not simply have to do as we are told, but we must engage in the ruling of a nation, in politics, in a way in which is humble, is submissive. We see this has changed so much even in the last few years. It was unthinkable. 20 years ago, that someone would sue 
after they lost an election. Now it happens every year. No one submits. No one sees that God is in charge and God is sovereign and God can be trusted. And what Paul is saying here is, as a Christian, you should be model citizens. That doesn't mean being passive, but it does mean being respectful, being a model to others around you. To be thankful. Because as bad as things might be, or might seem, almost every other place on earth that you could live, they would be worse. Be thankful to God for that. This is an attitude that we need to have to rulers. We need to listen to them. But it goes beyond rulers. As we deal with people, we need to have the right kind of attitude as well. Paul puts it in a a wonderful way. There's no escape from Paul. He says we are to be ready for every good work. Now, this word for ready, I want you to think, have an image in your mind. Now, this will burn in your mind of a Boy Scout. What's the model of the Boy Scouts? Be prepared, right? And so when you are out camping and you need a knife, who do you ask? You ask a Boy Scout and he takes it out of somewhere. A Boy Scout is someone who's always prepared and and people who are always prepared are a help to others around them. We were at a wedding uh, yesterday and I was recalling an old story of a wedding that I was in. And you know how they have the runners and the runners are always a problem. They go crooked or something happens. And the runner went out and it came off of the cardboard tube and it kept rolling back up the aisle. And we were standing around. We didn't know what to do. And out of nowhere, the bride's father whipped out a roll of duct tape. <laughs> Wrapped it down. The wedding went along fine. I had, till this day, it's 25 years later, I have no idea where he got it from. But he was completely prepared. And we should be similarly prepared to do good works, to do every kind of good work. That means being ready and being willing. We don't do good works for others grudgingly. Paul says we need to be excited about doing good things for others. Excited about showing others the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not just an outward act, it's an inward act as well. But he also says it's every good work. Now, how many of you have this situation go on in your home? Sometimes it's the kids, sometimes it's mom or dad. There's a list of chores to be done, and the kids squabble a bit over which ones to be done because there's certain ones they don't ever want to do. Maybe it's emptying the dishwasher. Maybe it's vacuuming. I'll vacuum all day, just please don't let me dust. Oh, I'll dust all day, just please don't make me empty the dishwasher. But you see, the Christian life isn't like that. We don't get to pick and choose. I'll be nice to this person, but not that person. Oh, I'll be patient, but I really won't be kind. No, it's not how it works. Paul is comprehensive here. He says every single good work that you can think of, you need to be ready, willing, and prepared now. So if you're sitting here today, and you're running through your mind of things that are good that you need to do, things that you can be helpful, things that you can do to show others the grace of Jesus Christ, and you think you've got to work yourself up into them. You need to repent of that. You need to trust the Lord that He will provide for you a heart that is willing and able to do good works. 
Because you see, it is a result of God's work that we are able to work. Paul uses this phrase, every good work, in a couple of other places. He uses it in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, where he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You don't think you can do every good work? God has sufficiently abounded His grace upon you. It is by God's grace that you can do every good work. If you think you can't do it, you're right. But God can through you. He also says it in Colossians chapter 1. He says, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. So the good works that we do are the fruit of what God has done in us. By His grace, the fruit comes out of us. And we are equipped to do this by the Word of God. Because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says that the man of God is to be complete and equipped for every good work by the Word of God. This is the attitude we are to have. But we also are to have not only the right attitude, but the right responses. Look at what Paul says here in verse 2. We are to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Wow. That's a tall order, isn't it? We are first not to speak evil of anyone. And that's because our natural inclination is to speak the worst of others. And if we are honest, it is the greatest temptation when we speak of those who oppose the faith. Those that we know have not come to embrace Jesus Christ by trust and faith. And we think somehow that gives us the excuse to speak the worst possible of them. You see, Paul is very broad here. He says, speak evil of no one. We also need to remember there are always going to be bad things to say. Because people, a lot of times, are rotten. I know this. I am one. I am a person. Sin takes root in our life. And even as we try and kill it and mortify it and push it out of our life by God's grace, we still provide ample opportunities every day for each other to speak ill. Paul says we're not to do this. And we're not to do this, I think, because we are to set an example for others of what grace does. I'm reminded of the great controversy over the past month or so. You've heard of it, haven't you? It's the great controversy of Tim Tebow. Can he quarterback? Can he not quarterback? Should he start? Shouldn't he? Does he win? Does he lucky? Is it the defense? Is it God? And we go on and on and on about all of these things. But one of the things I want you to think about as you think about Tim Tebow in the news is that Tim Tebow is one Christian who is always in the spotlight. read an article last week that one of the reporters actually hired a lip reader to watch him during the entire game to try and catch him in foul language. How would you like that if someone did that to you? But you see, you may not be on national TV. But people see you all the time, don't they? And when you speak evil of someone, what happens? 
Again, in, the, in this great controversy, the whole thing is that Tebow can't complete passes. They have to run. He can't do certain things. And last week, I watched uh, a, a clip of how they had miked Tebow. And after the game, was later in the week, they put together a montage of it. And one of the plays was he threw this great long pass to a receiver, and the receiver dropped it. It would have been like a 60-yard touchdown pass. Would have given him great stats. Everybody would have said, well, Tebow can throw the long bomb, etc., etc. And he dropped it. And any other man, myself, would have been tempted to go up to this guy and say, what in the world are you doing? How come you couldn't catch the ball? But they caught him on tape. And do you know what he said? That's all right. You'll catch the game winner later. That's all right. It's all good. He was gracious. There's nothing special about him because he's a football player. What's special about him is that he knows the Lord Jesus Christ. And that same specialness comes to every one of you that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. You have that same measure of grace in you, not to speak evil of others. Paul also says that we are to be marked by not quarreling, avoiding quarreling. This word is actually, it means someone who doesn't fight. It's the anti-fighter. It's an A-fighter, like an atheist. It's an A-fighter. It's someone who doesn't think of fighting. They don't bully. They're not overly proud of their own achievements. This is to mark our lives before others. We're also, it says, to be gentle. Now, I have to help the men here. Because when you hear gentle, my guess is what runs through your mind is something like a precious moments doll. Or maybe like a big fluffy dog. And you say to yourself, well, I'm, I want to be godly and good, but gentle? I'm a guy. You want me to act like a lady? Come on, pastor. No. Because that's not what gentle means. That's a caricature of it that we've developed today to avoid being gentle. What being gentle means really and fundamentally is being reasonable taking other people into account, being reasonable with your requests, being conciliatory, being open to what others have as importance. That's what we are to be as Christians. Paul says in Philippians 4, 5, as he's exhorting the Philippians, he says, let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to all people. We as Christians should be known as being friendly and well-balanced. Are you friendly and well-balanced? Not just in church. Not just with your Christian friends. Not just with the men, women, or kids that you like. Are you friendly and well-balanced? When people describe you to strangers, is that how they would describe you? That's what Paul exhorts us to. Finally, he says we are to be courteous. This is, we are to have perfect courtesy toward all people. It's as broad as it gets. We are to show all courtesy to all people all the time, Paul says. This is a measure of humility. You see it in even just something as mundane as someone opening the door and saying, after you. Or, go ahead, you get in line first. This is something that even the youngest among us can practice. Right? When we have supper this evening, after the caroling, I encourage you, especially you young men, 
to yet let the moms and the young ladies go first. Practice being courteous. Because that's godly. It's not just mismanners. It's King Jesus. Be courteous. Because you see, this is how we have the opportunity to share the gospel. The great example of being courteous is found in 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter says we are to always have an answer for the reason, for the hope that lies within us. But he says you don't just tell it any old way. You tell it with humility, with courteousness, respect. You see, practicing courteousness by letting someone go ahead of you is a way that you train yourself to tell the gospel to others in a courteous fashion so that you're heard. Well, this is what it means to have a right attitude and to have right actions. Now, why is this? Paul begins there in verse 3. There is a consideration of the reason why Paul tells us to act this way. And it begins with a four. It's very clear. Paul says, this is the reason. And the reason is, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Paul gives a reason. And I want you to notice, it is not a pragmatic reason. Paul does not say, because Titus, if your people are like this, you'll be known as the friendly church, and you'll double in size in two months. He doesn't say, Titus, because if you do this, you'll be well-known in your community and people will respect you. No. He says, you need to be this way because you were once rotten, stinking, filthy sinners. But you're not anymore because of God's grace. He says, you're no better than anyone else. And if God can do what He did with you, think about what God can do with others. That's the focus here for the believer. It points us to God's grace and the work of God's grace. Paul's very emphatic here. He says, we were once like this. And he doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say we were short with people. He doesn't say, you know, we lacked a small amount of patience. You know, we were a little bit selfish. No, he says, we were foolish, disobedient, slaves. We passed all our days in malice and envy. He doesn't pull any punches at all. Do you describe yourself that way? Do you show the greatness of God to others in what He has done for you and to you? Because you see, the more you act like, I've always had it together, I always do have it together, and I know what I'm doing, the smaller God is in your life. Well, I guess God didn't really have to do anything with him. He was always a straight arrow. He always knew what to do. He was always patient. He was always kind. But you see, the more that we understand what we have been saved from, the greater glory God gets. And Paul tells us that we were foolish. That is, without spiritual understanding, we were ignorant, alienated from God. We relied on our works. That's why Paul calls the Galatians foolish in chapter 3. Are you relying on what you have done to receive the blessing of God? If you are trusting in your ability, your means, your goodness, then you are a fool, a biblical fool. You may be double my IQ, triple my degrees, 
But you see, it is only by looking to Jesus that we can find true hope in life. Everything else is vanity and foolishness. Paul says we were unbelieving and disobedient. That's the opposite of what he has said earlier that we are to be. We are to be obedient. He says we've changed from being disobedient to others, disobedient to God, to being someone who seeks to obey the Lord in all things. We were led astray. That is, we were deceived and we deceived others. But the thing is, God sees through our own self-deceptions. We can tell ourselves that we're the nicest person we know. We can tell ourselves we're the most patient person we know, but God sees through it. You see, also, we have a history. There's also our past actions as well. And that is that we have acted on our own thoughts. We became slaves to our own sinful desires and pleasures that deceive. And all kinds of them, Paul says. You notice, Paul is being very general here because he doesn't want us to sit in our seats and say, oh yeah, Paul's talking about him. Oh, oh, Paul is really giving it to her. He says, all kinds of sinful pleasures, all kinds of sinful desires. So you need to ask yourself this morning, what draws your heart away from Jesus? Maybe it's golf. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your reputation. Find what draws you away from Jesus. And kill it. Put it in your past. It's already in the past. Rely on the Lord Jesus Christ to mortify those sins that you might follow Him and be more like Him. That's the call here. You see, in the past, we were alienated from God. We were unpleasant to be around. You see how Paul describes us? Hated and hating others. We were those who were living lives of malice and envy. But you see, God in His grace has redeemed us from this. He has changed who we are. And if you do not know this change, you can. Because Jesus is alive, well, and working today. Miracles happen every single day. And the conversion of sinners to children of God. Lastly, What's the end of all of this? Why are we to be a certain way? Why are we to hope for certain things? Why are we to heed this call for action and to consider who we were? Paul tells us that it's the consequences that matter. We are to concentrate on the consequences. And there are really two. The first is the difference that Jesus has made, and the second is the witness that he has given to us. What is the difference here? We see it in the middle part of this text that we're going to look at in greater detail next week about justification by grace. But we see here in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. You see, the difference is not us. It's Jesus. We go from verses 3 to verses 1 and 2 because of what Jesus has done in verse 4. We don't work our way up into patience, into kindness, into kind words, into submission. We do it because the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ. And you see, that leads us then to the story that we have to tell, the witness that we have to a world. I don't know what it is in your life, but you have something in your life that when someone walks up to you and compliments you, you can say, thank you, by God's grace. You should have seen me ten years ago. You should have seen me two years ago. You should have seen me last week. But God in His grace is working on me. Do you have difficulty with patience? Do you have difficulty with kind words? Do you have difficulty with submission? Well, I did. Let me tell you how I resolve those problems. It's an instant opportunity to tell of the glory of Jesus. And you haven't had to memorize two or three chapters of the Bible. And you don't need to have a three-by-five card with all of the steps in the right order. All you need to do is to share what Jesus has done for you. That can happen even for the youngest among us. It's an opportunity to tell others of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. It is also hard. It's hard to carry that kind of witness, isn't it? It's hard to find those opportunities. That's why we need each other, to encourage one another. Just like Paul encouraged Titus, just like Titus would encourage the Cretans, we need to be reminded that it is not easy to be fine ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But by God's grace, we can encourage one another and see the testimony of Jesus Christ go throughout the world. And this will be, as Paul says here at the end of verse 8, he says, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on all of these things. And you know why I want you to insist? Because these things are excellent. But they're also profitable. For all people. As you think about your life here in this Christmas season, be profitable to your family. Be profitable to your friends and neighbors. Be profitable to your co-workers. And live the life that Paul lays down in this call of action. That you might be more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given to us this word from Paul. A word that we can take to heart. That we can bring back to you, O Lord, as we fail in your commands. But we know, O Lord, that you give yet more grace. And we ask that you would right now, in your children, work a work beyond anything we can imagine. Help us, O Lord, to know that you are glorified through our gentleness, through our humility, through our testimony for the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.